0: Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On The Wing Podcast. With you today, I'm Bob St. Pierre and I've got with me Tom Carpenter, editor of the Pheasants Forever Journal, and Jared Wickland, the public relations manager for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And we have a kick-ass, awesome, fun, (laughs) episode lined up you're giggling but i am uh, this is one of the most um, exciting topics for me to talk about and it's based on carp's terrific um article that's in the fall edition of the pheasants forever journal and it is titled public secrets 11 strategies for outsmarting public land roosters and outworking other hunters and i know listeners are, are probably thinking out there well, you guys all work for pheasants forever. You get the cherry spots. You hunt private land. People invite you to go hunt X, Y, or Z. And while you know we we sometimes get those invitations to hunt with a chapter, a private landowner, because our, our organization does a ton of work, CRP, you know, uh, different farm bill programs, uh, working lands, whip, equip. Sometimes we get to hunt those properties, but generally speaking, the three of us grew up uh, public land, bird hunters, and we still, the vast majority, I think about myself, it's like 95% of the time I'm hunting public lands, and I know that to be the case with with you two as well. None of the three of us, outside of the home on which our, uh, or the, the land on which our homes sit... None of us own property um, that that is hunting land, right? I mean, so, so this is going to be entirely focused on those secrets and um, some strategies that uh, you, the listener, can employ uh, for your own public land pheasant hunting. So with that intro, welcome back to the podcast, Carp. Thanks. Tom it's- Carpenter, Carp, the editor of the Fessence <laughs> Revenue.
1: I, I, I just keep calling you Carp now, but folks that's his know name, that. Or, that's his name around that's here. It. Well, it's good to be here again. I'm excited about this podcast. You know, and I, I, I wrote this article, and, uh, you know, I thought this would be a great podcast. Just to talk through this with a, a couple other public land pheasant hunters committed to that, to that, that rely on public lands like many members do, um, and, and get into some of the strategies you can do other than burning up a bunch of boot leather to really give yourself an advantage on public land. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today, and I'm excited about it because it's a it's a topic near and dear to my heart. I love writing about how to do it hunting and i think this is this is is how to how to do it as you can get um i've been hunting public land roosters since the mid 1970s believe it or not so i've been around the block a few times and been outsmarted by a lot of public (laughs) land roosters i've managed to fool a few myself uh, through the years with first basset hounds and then Brit- american Britney's, and now my little french brittany and uh we're going to have a lot of fun today and i hope i think everybody who's listening if you pick up one or two tips you're that's what. That's my goal. You pick up one or two ideas that are going to get you a rooster. So
0: I, I have to correct you. It's not a French Brittany. It's a...
1: Epignol Breton. Oh, come on. <laughs> give, give a little
0: French love. Do-
1: uh, I can't do it as as, <laughs> as good as you can. <laughs> Epignol Breton. There you go. <laughs>
0: I don't know if that's German or French. <laughs> it's, it's, it's French. Epignol Breton,
1: which is simply uh, Spaniel of yeah. Brittany. Yeah, okay. Yep. And they're they're they're, they're simply the original Britneys. That's all they are. And um, you know, they're very very continental. That's sort of a fancy word. Mm-hmm. And um, but you know, France, Italy, Spain, um that's pretty they're they're uh from all those different places. They're European, not just French.
0: So uh, I've always um uh, so when
1: people say continental, it means that that breed came from Europe. Yes, it, uh, not, it came from not England. It came from across the channel. Okay, that's continental, and then the English breeds. I've like heard that, cockers. but I actually
0: never, I never knew or understood that. that me, me neither. Con- yeah, you know, I've heard people say continental breed, and I was like, well. Which continent? Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> the European continent. Well, yeah, across, yeah. Across, I the All go. right, there you go. <laughs>
1: Public secret number one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, also
0: joining us, uh, Jared Wickland, and you—you you have the uh, great distinction of, like I said in the opening, you don't own like hunting land of your own outside of your, your you know, the land that your house sits on. But yep. your property backs up too. A public WMA.
2: And we're working to add to it right now if a few things come together here. Another 300 acres added to that to make it a mile and a half square, which would be awesome. But, um, you know, as Bob pointed out, and I've talked in other podcasts about this, I think some of our food plot podcasts and stuff, is I've got 9.85 acres, and I would say maybe four of that has like really good pheasant habitat on it that i've managed for mm-hmm. uh, i've got a small food plot so do i take a handful of roosters off of there a year yes but um and not to take away uh, from private lands habitat because those of us that work on it and do good things for it and put it put our blood sweat and tears into it to you know to get the fruits of our labor and go out there and maybe harvest harvest a rooster, harvest a deer with my young daughter last week, which was pretty awesome. That's a different podcast, <laughs> but that property wouldn't be what it is without the public lands next door. Mm. And I was outside this morning watching ducks fly around on my deck and there were roosters crowing out on that public land. And I was licking my chops <laughs> because I was trying to figure out how we're going to employ some of the strategies that we're going to talk about today to go to go at those birds. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, public, public lands, uh, is, is very meaningful. Um, as you pointed out, I mean, I grew up hunting basically all public lands up near Duluth, Minnesota. When I really got into pheasants at the end of high school, early college down in Iowa, it was all public land hunting with no dogs. So, um, I've, uh, been around the, been around the horn a few times too with, with public lands roosters.
0: An important, um, kind of footnote here. When you're a member of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, you should wear a badge of honor on what you have done as a member for public lands. We, we think of ourselves as an organization of public land creators. And since 1982, beginnings of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, we have created more than 200 acres of 200,000 acres. Make sure I correct that. 200,000 200, acres of permanently protected land acquisitions that are now WMAs, WPAs, GPAs that are uh, public wildlife areas open to public hunting.
1: Mm-hmm. 201,000. I think it's 823. Is and that, that the right? Okay. Yeah. And that doesn't even include. So th- those are the permanent ones. Yes. And
0: then you add on top of that. The the walk-in programs that we work with state agencies and then the Farm Bill, VPA-HIP, Voluntary Public Access Habitat Incentives Program. It's a lot of acres. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those programs that stack farm bill and state dollars on top of um crp lands generally crp lands and open them up to public hunting that's where the weha comes from in texas olap in oklahoma
1: walk in minnesota walk
0: in minnesota plots um, north dakota open fields and waters in nebraska our favorite acronyms but all those public lands that um work we're working with state and federal government uh, and private landowners through a variety of angles. So, public lands are at the core of, you know, a part of what Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever is about. It's a, it's a really f- interesting balance with how we work with Farm Bill to create CRP and private lands conservation programs to improve habitat, but then Yet. also
2: yep. doing
0: the exact same habitat work on public mm-hmm. lands that work in, in, conjunction with state and federal agencies to acquire land, to improve lands, to adopt WMAs and do prescribed burns with state agencies to improve the habitat uh, that exists on those, some of those WMAs in, in public land. So it, it's, we really, it's a, a two pronged approach. Of our mission for public land and private land to create more roosters and more opportunities for us to release those dogs and uh come and if,
1: come autumn go chase some birds around. If you I like this stat and I've said it before, but I I, I took a calculator and our two hundred and one odd thousand acres, just and we're just talking the permanently protected lands here. If you walked the perimeter, two, uh, 201,000 acres is 1,300 square miles, if or 300 square miles, If 300-some square miles. If you walk the perimeter of each of those square miles, just imagine you're walking the perimeter of a square mile to hunt. That's over 1,300 miles. That's the distance from the North Dakota border to Grandview, Texas, south of Dallas, and you haven't even covered inside each square mile. Hmm. So just... That puts two hundred and one thousand acres of grassland and wetland and other habitat into perspective, and that 's just the permanently protected stuff yeah so i'm impressed with it yeah. i i like to uh, I like to spout that statistic and let and let people really think about that
0: it 's a badge of honor for this organization to be able to um, to create lands that uh, that and all americans can hunt and including that, us and, that's and that's
1: the other thing it's not all hunting it's for hunting it's bird watching okay. it's hiking it's wa- it's producing waterfowl it's producing big game it's a place to train your dog when summer gets on mm. and in the, it's legal in the very it becomes legal in the various states to go out to these places and um it's thanks to Pheasants Forever members who are the clout behind all this. It's not only the money, but it's the clout what speaks in Washington, D.C. D. and in state legislators and in county boards and, and the like to help make public lands. And that's just what we've permanently protected, not to mention all the other stuff we're talking about.
2: You know, being you bring all this up, and I'm I'm just envisioning all these all these acres and all these miles in my head that you can walk. You know, and being the being the the public relations manager, the guy that writes a lot of the press releases on these public lands that we're doing. I don't care if it's Minnesota, or Iowa, South Dakota, Wisconsin, Montana, big one we just did in Kansas last year. I think probably the best part of my job when it comes to public lands is actually getting to to write about them and just kind of envision what, what those properties look like, because our, our, our grants team and the people on the ground that are doing those land acquisitions in those certain places are, are feeding me the pictures and the info that I require to write those, to write those stories. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, I just, I sit at my, I sit at my desk probably half the year, just licking my chops while I'm writing those stories, looking at, looking at those types of properties that are coming through. Um, you know, and, and not only that, not just the acquisition part, but the, the enhancement or improvement part that we're doing too. Right. Um, you know, that's a big thing out there these days. People say, well, I showed up this public, public area. Well, you know, it wasn't worth much, in my opinion, maybe had trees growing on it, whatever it might be. Um, pheasants forever is a big part of transforming those grounds into places where people can go out and find just productive wildlife habitat and productive wildlife populations. So, Um, you know, from, from that standpoint to just, uh, you you know, members, members, dollars and members influence to help us and chapters influence and dollars to help us transform those parcels. And then I get to write about them, um, public, public lands, uh, in, in my world and everyday jobs just consumes, consumes my lifestyle, which is awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, you you said uh, you get to write about the public land acquisitions, and that's going to be my transition into what Carp wrote about, which is <laughs> a terrific story. Um, or yes, it, it it's it's really a guide, a how-to hunt public birds. Uh, it's called Public Secrets: Eleven Strategies for Outsmarting Public Land Roosters and Outworking Other Hunters. If you're a current member of the of Pheasants Forever, it this appeared in the fall edition of the Pheasants Forever Journal. If you're not a current member, we're going to tease you on how you might be able to get this edition uh, later in the the episode. But let's let's dive into this article because it was um, it, it really was a fun story that that uh, you wrote here, Carp, and you you talk about kind of a a bird from years gone by. Tell us about that hunt that you opened the story
1: with. Well, in the, you know, we talked about being public land hunters and how, you know, man, working private land is a is a privilege and and being able to have your own private land and develop it and put put that nesting cover, that brood cover, that winter cover, food plots and hunt your birds is is great. Um, but even people with private land access have to rely to some extent on public lands. And some of us rely almost entirely, too entirely, on public lands. Mm -hmm. I've been hunting them since the mid-1970s. So... I've developed a lot of different strategies, and I wouldn't call them rocket science strategies, but I'd call them more than just get out and walk. There, there's a few. There's, I came down to 11. There's probably some more. We'll probably develop some more as we talk through some of these. But it's, it's, it's tech, strategies, techniques, tips, and ideas to get yourself at an advantage to shoot those public land roosters, and really you're trying you're, you have two challenges, and one is outsmarting pressured public land roosters. They are out there, but they are smart. they figure it out after about a half a day, at least in my experience, that uh, when the season opens, it doesn't take very long for them to get educated. And I, I saw it this weekend. It was the Minnesota opener. I hunted all public lands in western Minnesota, did well on birds, but by Monday, they were. They had it all figured out <laughs> and there are plenty of birds around because it's still early in the season a lot of crops up but there's but they're still out in the grass there's there's they are still to be had but that's when you have to start putting some of these some of these strategies and secrets to work and um in the story I just outline uh, I, I outline a hunt it's it's the classic old outdoor writers um, organization to a story you start out with an adventure and um you end with the close of the adventure and in between you give the meat yeah and um I still love the formula, you know, it's not my formula, it's age old, mm-hmm. it's classic outdoor writing. but I talk about hunting with my old bird dog, Rascal, who was an American, Brittany, and just using some of these techniques and how they also, about how five or six of them just came together in a, what I call a junket hunt. I get up in the morning, drive three hours to get out to be in a hunting spot, and this could be anywhere across mm-hmm. the pheasant range. This hunt happened to be Minnesota. You're there for the opening of shooting hours. You hunt the day. Uh, you sleep overnight. You get up and hunt the next morning, and you're back home. And um, these techniques and strategies uh, helped pull that hunt together. And so to start out some of these strategies to get, us, get into the meat, so we—it feels yeah.
0: like we need a drum roll or something to to go. Nu- Boom! <laughs> Number one.
1: One is <laughs> okay. Here's my first technique, and it, it, er, er, my first idea, my first strategy, the first approach I use, and it is, hunt weekdays. Now that's that's be, that. There's various, obviously, various levels of difficulty to do that, depending on what your work situation is, your life situation, but. We're all upland hunters. If you're listening to this podcast, you're a serious upland hunter. And you have vacation. There is PTO. What do you use it for? Consider using it for in pheasant season and hunt weekdays. And it's it's just such a simple approach. But it's true. We all know pressure is going to be higher on weekends. You're going to end up competing with other hunters and I can gar- almost guarantee it that while you may not be all alone on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or maybe a Thursday, you are going to have exponentially less pressure to deal with from other hunters. Mondays, and this is getting into the the nitty-gritty, but Mondays are sort of like the Monday I just described in western Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Those birds have been pushed around all weekend. They're not back in a pattern. They do want to get back in that cover, and often this public land cover in many places is the best habitat there is. Those pheasants want back in there. Um, They might not be back there and ready on Monday, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, good days friday yeah pretty good but you're already getting the weekenders coming in so it's as simple as that and maybe you don't do it all the time but maybe strategize your season a little bit and look for that mid-november or that early december or something and say to yourself man i'm gonna take a couple midday a little midday junket and go
2: almost every single person i talked to this weekend and whether i don't know if they had columbus day off as a federal holiday or not um, but the majority of people, even the people that don't have federal holidays off, we're hunting that Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yep. Mm. Or they're preparing for MEA weekend coming up, and they're gonna hunt Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I think that's I think that's really sound advice. In order to get out in the middle of the week, those birds have settled down. They haven't have they haven't been trampled over. Um, you know, for a few days, and they're maybe a little bit more relaxed, and you can kind of. Um, pick and choose what kind of strategy you're going to use to go at them. Trampled over. Yeah. Trampled <laughs> over. <laughs> We're using the word trampled a lot around here <laughs> lately. Uh,
0: we, we, if, if folks haven't seen it, we have a, a new membership collaboration with Trampled by Turtles called Trampled by Pheasants. Pheasants. So if you look at uh, pheasantsforever.org backslash trampled, uh, you can see a, a trampled by pheasants collaborative T-shirt to engage you uh, <laughs> in memberships. I that 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 popped up in my head when you said that's trampled. all right. <laughs> it's in our vocab. Yeah, now. it is. It's it's kind of fun, you know. So so the, your number one uh, tip here: hunt weekdays is on the money, no doubt about it. And you know, even further as you talk about. You know Wednesdays and Thursdays if you can take off midweek. The other thing, and we we have mentioned this, I think it was probably on the the Rooster Ruses episode a couple, um, well about a year ago at this yep. time. Um, and I think I've mentioned it before, but talk to your boss right now <clears throat> and make it a make a deal where the first day it snows, if you live in snow country, <laughs> yeah. First day it snows, just boss know that I'm going to be out of the office, whatever day of the week it is. And if that happens to be, fingers crossed, that first snow happens to be on a Wednesday, jackpot, baby. Look out. Because you (laughs) need to take the first day it snows off as a vacation day and go to rooster country and chase birds. And uh, that is uh, a hot tip. It's not it's not a secret for for long bird hunters but if you're new to pheasant hunting uh, for some reason yeah. pheasants sort of just are stupefied on the first snow and if you, particularly you know you, you want to get a um, some close action with your dog they hold tight you know that Holds true for flushers or pointers, but boy, I can just envision some some first snow hunts that are the best memories I have with bird dogs.
1: Yep, that's a good combo with a hunt week. Any days, any first snow day is a good one, but if it hits midweek, you let you use the word, you hit the jackpot. Yeah, yeah. All right, drum roll, number two.
0: Jake, uh, this is a a (laughs) closed-circuit
1: production now that we need to get some sound effects. (laughs) Uh, All right, number two, carp. Stake your spot early. I mean, this is is a simple – it's easy to get, especially as the season goes on, it's easy to sort of lay back a little bit and get a little lackadaisical, a little easygoing, a little – to sort of – forget that there are other hunters out there. And this this one sort of, this one does relate to other hunters too, is that if you're, one thing I love about pheasant hunting is um, compared to some of the other hunting I do, i.e. turkey hunting and to some extent deer hunting, you don't necessarily have to get up at the crack of dawn to hunt pheasants. You can sort of have a civilized sleep and get out there at at a civilized hour after getting your coffee and tootling out. But I would offer that if you're in a popular area, area, a popular public area, whether it's a weekday or especially a weekend, um, get out there early and stake out your spot. Now, on times like an opening day, that might, you know... That might not work so well because there's going to be other hunters anyway, and you don't really know how they're going to respect that. But I notice as the season goes on, if you stake out a spot and you're there an hour before shooting time in many states, you know, there is that that. The specific start Start hour and um, get out there an hour before and wait, you know, your dog can wait, you can wait, you can have some coffee, you're there, you've got your strategy, you've got your spot. And there's nothing wrong with that approach. That's outworking the other guy. And I, I recommend it even in November. Get get yourself out there and stake out that spot. Don't if you're shooting if shooting hours or you're in South Dakota and shooting hours at ten o'clock, don't don't pull out there. Don't get out there at five to ten and come over the hill, and don't be surprised if somebody's sitting there where you want to go.
2: Mm-hmm. I think part of that too. Um, you know, you just rustled something in my brain. It com- <laughs> comes down to I heard some different varying stories over the weekend, but I think like hunter etiquette, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes down to it. For somebody that goes out and parks parks at a spot like that, is, is out there early, maybe had scouted it the night before. Um, I think I think it's just a good lesson to have everybody just remember that listen, it's it's all public land, we all own it, we can all hunt it. But if somebody else is parked there, there's there's a Normally, a lot of public spots out there for people to go. You know, if it's a mile and a half square, go go park on the other side somewhere. We're going to get into that one in yes. here in a little bit, but there's there's no reason to uh, trample all over one <laughs> another. Uh, you know, on a on a parking lot and and just mm. just be uh, be respectful of of other bird hunters that are out there. That's a big one. I have, I
1: one, I have one thing to say to that. Amen.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yep. We've it, all been there. It yeah, happens. It it
0: is a good uh, good reminder that um, yeah, be courteous. Leave leave uh, beyond a safe distance. Leave a courteous distance yes. between you and the next hunter. Yep. Put a wetland between you. You know if you can. So you know or, or something yeah. where it. You know they kind of have a natural area to run, and you have a natural area to run, and you probably won't intersect because that there's a natural boundary between you
1: and there's nothing wrong with talking to somebody and saying you know use use the etiquette that jared talks about but I, i've used this technique i've i've seen guys getting ready to hunt and um myself said oh i was thinking about going the other side and working working mm-hmm. x y or z and then and I tell you what, 95% of the time, you know the answer you get is like, "Yeah, that sounds good. We're gonna just work here. You go over there, and you know we're all in this upland, this upland lifestyle together, and be that courteous hunter." Yeah.
0: That's a great point. Um, just take the time to go have a conversation. There's, there's,
2: Sometimes they'll let them. They'll let you join them. Yeah, that, that exactly. happened too. Uh, yeah, I've
1: <laughs> I've hunted with guys. I've I've actually made friends. Right. Meeting them randomly in parking lots.
2: You you may
0: even know that person. that You just don't recognize the vehicle. Yep. So absolutely.
2: When I see that pheasants forever hat or pheasants forever logoed uh, vest, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, just go right in there, start talking to them, find some common ground, and if uh, you know, hunt the other hunt the other side if that's taken already, or if they invite you to hunt, so be it. But it's uh, I think the companion the companionship among pheasant hunters is pretty good.
1: Well, that leads us to the next one because I mentioned parking lot
2: number
0: number number three number three <laughs> we will
1: work on that those sound effects <laughs> is don't park at the parking lot mm. this is a big one I use a lot, and it 's as simple as this is and and we'll walk we'll talk a little more about about some of this um, working perimeters in in the next, but here, here's what a lot of people do. Here's a parking lot. It's convenient. It's made for it. I pull up. I park. I get out my dog. I look at the cover, and everybody's pretty smart about pheasant hunting, but they don't realize. But they don't think about. Everybody else is thinking the same thing and you get out at a parking lot, and every pheasant who was ever somewhere near that parking lot is either gone or knows the story as soon as they hear a door click, and they're gone. And the other thing is, then you go out and you walk a perimeter. You walk the same thing everybody else does. Um, But we're going to get into that later, but don't park at a parking lot. Figure out something else. Pull off on the side of the road. Figure out what everybody else does. And then do the opposite mm-hmm. because those pheasants know the drill, no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, it, it's a good um, a good pointer. You know, the the one thing to to just guide folks as well is obviously be mindful of field roads for farmers and and mm-hmm. gravel roads for traffic and stuff. You know, don't park in the parking lot; just park off the road and out of the way. Yes, and come in from a different direction. Maybe you do have to park at the parking lot, but then. That, good w- point leash yep. your dog you know leash your dog and walk half a mile and come in from a completely different direction because at, it, ultimately your point is the pheasants you know by day two of the season, they kind of know the game they know the drill mm-hmm. and something as simple as coming in from a different direction than ninety percent of the people changes the deal. Yep. I remember a hunt last year in Kansas. It was walking, weehaw, a weehaw field um, that was just pasture. It was grazed down to nothing. So I, it, 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 it didn't get much pressure. But on the other side was a WMA. And people hunted the WMA hard, but I could watch people pushing birds to the end, right, to the yep. back corner by that weehaw. So I parked the other side of that weehaw and just had a stroll basically through this pasture land that was open and came in at the exact opposite side of that public um, wildlife area. And my goodness, it was like those birds (laughs) didn't know what was going on because they were used to people coming from a different angle. And they were holding, they were surprised, they didn't know what to do. So the point is just, kind of mix it up a little yep. bit and and that's great great advice and that ties in to your your secondary point uh
1: which is number four yeah work the heart I, um i i mentioned it and led into it but It's easy to walk a perimeter, and maybe there's times a day when you do walk a perimeter. I would say especially if if crops are up and you're at the golden hour and there's some good grassy edges that those birds are going to be working back into. Yeah, perimeters are good. But in general, if you're working hard hunted midday pheasants, get away from the edge. Work the heart. Get in there. I guarantee you other hunters... Don't do it at the same at the, with the same intensity that you would, and get in there and find those contours, those edges, those cattail edges, whatever those transition zones, those differences uncover are, where pheasants like to be. Whether it's willows to grass, or grass to cattails, or cattails uh, to thickets, or a plum thicket, you know, get in there and just. W- for lack of a better word, I'll say wander. Yeah, follow your dog and and, and work the heart. Let that dog go and 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 work it. And the
0: article appears in the Pheasants Forever Journal, but that bit of advice works for absolutely every single upland species: yep. quail, rough grouse, sharp-tailed grouse, uh, yep. chickens. Work the heart. You know, get get off the beaten path, the two track, the trail, and get deep. Bring your GPS with you, right? <laughs> Especially grouse hunters out there. But but uh, you know, take a beeline for the heart. Yep. Don't worry about the the path that other people. It may look like great cover. It's been hunted already. Yep. Just take a beeline. Don't wear yourself out. Get to the deepest part, and then look for the edges once you're in the deepest part. I've got I've got
2: one little tip, a hot tip I
0: think like to throw <laughs> into this.
2: So a few a few years ago, um a couple of us from the office decided to go on a spring bear hunt out in Montana. Um and uh to go on that trip, we had we were crossing a lot of rivers, a lot of creeks, a lot of glacial flow coming off some of these mountains. It's extremely cold and we we're trying to figure out a way to to go through that without having to wear a pair, you know, of rubber boots when we're hiking boots when you're mm-hmm. out in that country. So we ended up going on to Amazon.com and we bought. A, they, they were they were coined as reusable waiters. Well, I hope they're reusable. I mean, you hope to hell that they're reusable, right? So right. it's just one time, one time wear. Ever since that trip, I keep those in my back pocket of my bird vest. And These are really thin waiters. If they're, they're in your back, they're they're, <laughs> they're they're thin waiters. So they're meant they're meant to pull. They're meant to pull over. They're hip waiters. Uh-huh. Um, they're meant to pull over your boots with your boots on. Huh. To wade ac- to wade across a, a stream, stream, a creek um, a small wetland, whatever it, whatever it might be. So if you're out there and especially in a, in a year like 2019, mm-hmm, it yeah. is extremely wet. Hmm. And I'm not talking just Minnesota or the Dakotas mm-hmm. across the entire pheasant range. It is very, very wet outside. So, um, I think they were, I think with shipping, there are maybe 20 bucks. They're, they're and, not, they're nothing fancy. And you found them on Amazon. Yep. Amazon.com. Do you remember what like what brand they were? Uh, were they? I'd have to I'd have to look. Maybe so just
0: could... go on Amazon and, and look for reusable waiters. Yep. Huh. Yep. Because I, I I think of a spot just like that. That um, there's an irrigation ditch in western Minnesota that you can't get to this little island of habitat without crossing the irrigation. Ditch. Or until it yep. freezes. And to, well, there you yep. go. Right. Yep. So. Uh, You know, I get there before everybody Sometimes I bring hip waders, which it's a hike in there to carry hip waders, but when you get in there, these birds that have never been pressured yep. the, the other time is when it like you say when it freezes but, but the
1: waiters get you in there before everybody else can get there when it freezes right. too that's why do these do they slip right over your boots they you slip on? right
2: over your boot they're they're pretty clunky right you look uh-huh. like bigfoot when you put them on because it's just got it's just a massive huh. foot on the bottom of it that's got a little bit of tread but it's basically pulling like a thick plastic up over over your pants over your boots uh, up to your hip they connect at the hip um, and I've just found them extremely, extremely useful. Hmm. Um, Amazon.com. They come in a, They come in like uh, maybe a half of a sheet of paper, a half of a, um, you know, eight eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper, and it folds flat. Fits very easily into your vest, and for when when times when you need it, man, they come in <laughs> handy. They're so very I, handy.
0: I do have that uh, scene from Airplane. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Which one? Or, or, or no, maybe it was a Naked Gun. With, with the, the full body condoms, do you remember?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, with Leslie Nielsen, yeah, I, I you sort know of, what I'm talking about. I sort of picture, I sort <laughs> as Jared was describing it, I sort of pictured like a potato sack race yeah, across, across the ditch. I think it was naked, Bot, body condom gun. works too. I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, we're co- <laughs> we're covering here the next one, which is work the rough stuff. There you and go. I even talk about about putting on a hip waders and portable you you reusable hip waders and getting out to those islands in a market Slough. Um there's a funny word and we used it this weekend on the Minnesota Opener lot and I call it hell holes. Hmm. Look for hell holes. And I had, I had a perfect one this weekend. we uh, the the third day was rough, the pheasants had been pushed around a little bit, we're we're working for birds, uh we're we're spreading out and going to different spots, you know, drop you off here, him off here. Um and they dropped Lark and I off it. I had probably a oh 100 acre little i'd call it a satellite wma middle of the day 11:30 and um we got out i made sure i had all my bismuth shells it was or yeah it was a wpa and um we went in and i looked at the cover and i saw a hell hole in the middle and it was tag alders, <laughs> and it was willows. You can see his face when I he says that uh, for anybody listening. You could hunt that any time you want, Carb. I'm going
0: to go f- the, the the cherry walk. That's one hell well, of a yeah. hellhole. It
1: was a hellhole, but. We walked over there. We went in. We had a rooster in six minutes, yeah. and, uh, and, he, yep. and we found that rooster, and then we went out and walked the cherry cover. Yeah, right. But we had our rooster, and it was in a hell hole. And, I can just imagine
2: your face when you walked out of that. Oh, it had a big old smile
1: on it. And, um, but th- that's, that's – Sounds like fun. Che- I had – it was the first – I'll tell you this. It was the only rooster we got all day. Yeah. and So
0: um, when you say hellhole, was it cattails, was, was te- willows? It was
1: willows and grass, six-foot-tall yeah. grass, mm. uh, willows. Uh, r- Lark was in there. She was working. She'd point, reposition, mm. point, reposition. I, I mean, Jared's a big grouse. It was like grouse hunting, and that bird went out, and I, you know.
2: Yeah, that sounds like a hellhole. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I, you know, it was. Uh the the bird went out flush from about 10 yards i probably shot it at 16 or mm. 17 it was just if I, and if I hadn't, it would have been gone.
2: Mm-hmm. Was it a was it a mature rooster? Or it was it a young. Name? It
1: was a young rooster, but he was already educated. He wasn't. He wasn't out sunning himself in the uh, in the nice upland wildflower forbs and stems. <laughs> he was hunkered in a hellhole. Yeah, you know what I I,
0: I hate to walk is that canary grass. Yeah, that's oh, tough. God. Tangles up your boots. Oh and, gosh, that's such a pain. And
1: the other we we found this weekend was that the uh, the short the the rome and stuff get it catches your ankles mm-hmm. and you it's just so much more pleasant in some of that classic pollinator mm-hmm. type habitat with blue stem and wildflowers that's like joyous to walk in mm. but it often doesn't have the birds yeah. yeah
2: a guy a guy like me who's 5 foot 8 on a good day you see that reed reed canary grass and just all tangled and matted Whew. Gotta gotta yep. muster up some courage to walk in. <laughs> yeah, <I'm, laughs> me
0: too. I'm right there with you. We'll we'll send carp into that. <laughs> that's right.
1: Uh, J- Jared and I will do a, a number 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 six, which is walk the extra mile, and that's as important as hitting a hell hole. Sometimes even more so, because sometimes you just don't want to. You're bushed out. You're you're tuckered out. Your dog is tired let's just get back to where nobody else goes, and I, and th- there's been, I haven't seen pheasant upland hunter studies, but I have seen deer hunter stories that nobody goes more than a half mile from the road, and most only a quarter mile, and I think it's the same with pheasant hunters, and if you can find those big public areas, and you're willing to walk in the back side, a side that's inaccessible from another road that's going to take a a, a half an hour 45 minute hour-long walk to get back there that's your best bet for finding birds so i, I call your i call it become a self contained hunting unit you know pack up some food make sure you have the water and spend the day out there mm-hmm. you maybe it might be a four five six hour swing um but do it. Get out in that backside where other people don't go, and it's it's like Bob was talking about before the in that Kansas Weeha with the WMA there. The birds are going to get pushed to that side, and a lot of people aren't going to chase them.
2: And to be honest, so like uh, a four, five, six-hour jaunt on one place. I mean, I think that's where most upland bird hunters get get their most satisfaction or gratification from when would, would, would you not agree i'd agree i mean going 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 out there and just doing hand-to-hand combat with, <laughs> with with wiley with wiley roosters and trying to trying to you know get get in their head and figure out a way to to get at them i yeah i mean they i mean there are times where you can go out and you have that point, you know, and two or three roosters yeah, get up and yeah. you're done right away in the morning. But doing that long jaunt during the day and, and seeing a bunch of wild country and wild birds and other stuff out there, I think that's pretty cool. It I mean, reminds me of, uh, you know, I was talking earlier about writing all the press release and stuff. We just did, was it Stearns County? Was it the 900-acre? Nine, the,
1: the Kingston?
2: Uh, yeah, King, Kingston, yeah. Kingston WMA. I think it's the largest WMA. that. Um,
0: it's either Stearns or Pope. I think, it's up I think it's Sterns. I okay. think it's Sterns. Yeah,
2: but you know, nine hundred acres. You're talking what? That's a mi- mile and a half square. Yep, that's a lot. It's mm-hmm. a lot of ground. That's, you know, that's
1: that's a mile and a half square is six miles just perimeter.
2: Yeah, you can just go out there and hunt all day. So that's uh I think that's a really good tip is making sure you're making sure you're in shape yeah. and ready to go and ready yeah. to walk that extra mile for that bird.
1: And no secret here, the T V show is out, but last year um I had the opportunity to hunt the Sand Lake National Wildlife Refuge just as an example of a huge place. Mm-hmm. Twenty twenty-one thousand acres. Mm. And they close off a lot of the tour roads that people can take in the summer and i went back there last year around christmas time uh just me and just lark and i and i parked and i would walk a mile along some of these tour roads to get into places that, ha- that no one had hunted because it was a mile from the nearest hunter parking spot hmm. and we we got a limit every day hmm. walking into public land wait now now that's a that's an unusual exception 21,000 acres but 921,000 become a self pack yourself up get ready and go yeah you know that may be an unusual
0: exception but like you mentioned jared you know um, there are big spots even in higher concentration states like iowa minnesota Mm -hmm. where right like it, it, not every spot is 100 acres there's a lot of yep. big big spots out there that yep. you know to use your your term earlier <laughs> you're gonna have to walk some boot leather just to yes. get back there and yep. um but it, when you do when you, you kind of look at it on onyx maps yep. right you make a plan you're like i bet you there's not a lot of people get to that point yep yep then good. create create an adventure Like yep. that's a pretty fun way of doing a bird hunt that most people like you know there's that perspective when you're hunting big game that there's a lot of planning right and a lot of strategy and there's a perspective that bird hunters don't do that kind of strategy so if you do get the onyx map out and scout the day before and figure things out and get to those spots and look at satellite images you know you're gonna you know tip the Odds in your scale
2: to that point too of bigger bigger areas in a lot of these states. You know, I think whether it's pheasants forever, or state agency, the people we work with, fish and wildlife service. Um, a lot of these, a lot of these different agencies and nonprofits are filtering towards buying these bigger pieces in order to make complexes. So yep. a lot of times you aren't you aren't going to find just a standalone thirty acres out in the middle of, middle of nowhere because we're doing our best to turn it into a complex yep. so that it turns into a wildlife factory and a great place for people to go for public access. Yeah, absolutely hunting, so
1: it's a good tip well it it the bob was talking about the strategy of using that onyx and planning your hunt there's another way to plan and that leads us to our next tips and and we'll sort of put these two together they're number seven and eight <laughs> but <laughs> really as, <laughs> as as everybody knows here i'm a i'm a turkey hunting nut as well and I use turkey hunting techniques with pheasants. I put pheasants to bed and I scout them in the morning and see what they're doing hmm. and what could what I would ask I would ask you guys or anybody listening what would be better than seeing some pheasants fly from crop into a public land area, which is a typical scenario in the evening and knowing those birds are in the area and additionally. What could be better than getting up and driving the road? You can't hunt at 7 o'clock in Minnesota or South Dakota or other areas, but what about driving the roads and seeing where the birds are and seeing them run into a piece of cover and knowing they're there? That's fair and square. That's hunting. That's scouting. So don't discount the idea that you can physically see birds And figure out where they are and how to hunt them. And even if you don't, even if those, you see some birds fly in, uh, we'll say in the evening from crop to cover, and it's too late to get at them and hunt them because for Mm -hmm. some reason you're not hunting the golden hour, you know where they live. And you'll find them there, either find them there in that nice roosting grass at some point, if it's far enough back, or... Where's the nearest hell hole that you're gonna get during the day? You know. <laughs> yeah, it comes back to gathering information about, you know, birds
0: where they're where they're roosting and where they are in the morning to you yep. know, on their way to go feed. It makes perfect sense to to add that bit of information, that scouting to you. It, it does bring to, to mind conversation I had recently with a guy on Twitter where they we're talking about pheasant calls. And we sell pheasant call here in our warehouse. Yep. Uh-huh. And i i'm I'm a skeptic i'll uh, I'll admit I'm kind of skeptical of the pheasant call. Have either of you guys
1: used a pheasant call? i never have I've used hot calls Have you used them.
2: it i I have not, but you bring up a really good point because I probably should start so like I mentioned earlier, I was on my port on my porch this morning just kind of surveying my property in the public land next door. There were a lot of roosters out there this morning, and right at right at sunrise are out there cackling, cackling, and flying in out of, you know, marshes and other areas to wherever they're going to go for the day. And I, I don't know. I've, I've heard people use them before. I know. It's,
0: it's such a goddess. So, so yeah. here's the, the philosophy behind, the theory behind a pheasant call. You, you pull up to a spot and you blow on the call. And you're trying to essentially shock gobble. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. Shock gobble a, a pheasant into cackling, and the theory is if you can get that crow that cackle from the pheasant, then you know that there is a rooster in that area, yep. and it's worthy of your time to hunt it. I love it. So that's the theory, and and I've always been a little bit like, yeah, I don't know, you know. And there's an awful lot of. St- Silent ninja roosters that are never gonna cackle, right? But you know, there, there. In this debate I had on Twitter, there's an awful lot of folks out there that use the pheasant call religiously. Pull up to a spot, blow on the call, they hear a bird, and it's like, okay, we're gonna hunt this spot. And you know, if it works for you, like, okay, I can't argue with it. But it does, it does play into okay. Here's a potential advantage yeah. to your early morning scouting, particularly
2: because they're more yeah. vocal in the right, morning. Right. right. This sounds like pheasants forever Mythbusters type it, stuff well, I, that we got to figure out. Yeah, I don't know. I've I mean, never actually used one, but I I just I know from all the mornings that I spend on my porch to drink some coffee, eat breakfast, see what's going on outside. That not not so much. They don't do a. They do. A, they don't do the crow. They do the cackle. The when they're flying in right. and. When one of them lights up, the same thing this morning. There were four or five others. There was one behind my house. There was one out on the public Mm. land. I think there was one in my food plot, I think. Might have to go check him out when I get home. So. uh Oh sorry. So I'm I I'd be interesting to know and maybe that's something that this will be a good social media post. Well that's too, to that, out. there's our yeah.
0: homework assignment. Yep. I think each of us has to try a pheasant call this season and see okay. what we think. And oh, then man. and then we'll challenge folks when we post this um on, on post this podcast. We'd love to hear if yeah. you're using a pheasant call. Yeah. Um, you know, we want to know about it because that's something that uh you know, the three of us who bird hunt – all fall and winter long.
1: Haven't we, used one. We haven't tried it. I've used, I've used hawk calls. For my, pheasants? Yeah, to, to, to freeze them. Yep.
0: Huh. Well, which is the theory behind uh, uh, some of the beeper collars, yes. yep. right? When dog goes yep. on point and, uh, point and the hawk screech goes off, yeah. in theory, it's supposed to hold
2: that bird tighter. I do but, know a lot of people that use Bob, Bob White calls.
0: You know, the the whistle.
2: Yep. Yeah, I've heard yep. that. The whistle when they go out um, and they locate them to try to figure out where the coveys are, and then you know, I mean head they out. Do, they even do that in spring to get population
0: yep. and whistle counts. Yep. But but with pheasants, you know. Uh, if it worked, it seemed like it'd be a little bit more.
1: Um, well, I th- I think Bob, I have to take like a three day hunt <laughs> with a with a pheasant call and test this out. So yeah. I'll be figuring that it's, out.
0: Yeah, and I know we sell them in the warehouse, and they're not yeah. expensive. I think they're like twelve bucks or
1: something. But all right, hand tuned. We, we, we got to right. give that a shot. Readers or listeners, you have an assignment too. Tell us what you think yeah. of pheasant calls because I want to know. I'm I'm going to try it. I I really. After all these years of pheasant hunting, I haven't, I've never done it. So, you, and that's, that's a good point as we go on here. Hopefully, as a listener, you're learning something, or at least, like I said, picking up a tip or two. And I just picked one up. So that's going to be fun. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going to try it. I, I, I tell you what, Why I, not? I give it a high percentage of working at some point. It might not work all the time, but I, I bet you it would. Ooh. So let's, Tell us, right. tell us, what you think listeners. Well, this sort of brings us to the last couple points and they're fun they're, and we'll take them one by one, but it's hunt early season and hunt late season. And the message sort of is hunt when you can hunt, but there's a couple things going on and I, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about early season first. And, um, I use the word excuses a lot. There's always a lot of excuses not to hunt in the early season. And, and it's just human nature to sort of, as much as we love hunting, to sort of make up an excuse. Uh, there's too warm. There's too many crops up. The grass is still green. Um, there's any of a number of reasons. There's too many other hunters out. There's, too, there's a lot of reasons that you can convince yourself that early season hunting isn't good hunting. And... My, own, my, my response is, as a public land hunter, is there's never as many pheasants out. There's not going to be as many pheasants out there as there are right now in, in, in an early season, whether it's the first week or two or three. Even if there are crops up, you got to hunt. Every bird isn't in the crop. They have to come out of the crop later in the afternoon if you're worried about crops, as your reason for not hunting early season. But, and if it's warm, hunt the dogs a couple hours and early in the day and a couple late. They't It can't hunt at least me with one at this point. I can't hunt all day anyway. Give it, an, give it the best couple hours at either end of the day. But just don't, don't wait it out. If you get a nice day, even especially if you get a nice day, hunt in the early season. Because if you're a public land hunter, the, the birds are continually whittled down. There's always going to be birds there, and we'll get to hunt, the reasons to hunt late season. But don't pass up early season. I don't know what you guys think, but I hit it hard early. I, yeah, I love hunting early
0: season. You know, it, it, there's some uh, challenges, no yes. doubt, because of the... Um, crops being up and tends to be wet um but you know plain and simple there's just more birds available early in the season and you know i you can have your hell holes (laughs) carved. i I do like finding birds in on a you know 45 degree sunny day when they're out loafing in the beautiful cover i mean i'm i mean i'm with you. (laughs) you don't know if i can hunt those that's glorious well, to,
1: to be clear i don't <laughs> love hunting hell holes but also to be clear as these two know i will do whatever it takes <laughs> yeah. to shoot pheasants and and it, but i'm with you and and you do get that in the early yeah. season you think about these nice spots you think about God, that habitat we all love—that mm-hmm. with with blue stem or Indian grass or whatever grass it is—and that, that nice pollinator habitat. There's all the forbs and the wildflowers, and it's just pleasant to walk in. It's pleasant to be in, and the pheasants like it too because there's cover and there's there's paths and avenues for them to run. And it's a great place for your dog to work. That's that's. That's as fun as pheasant hunting is. Uh,
0: exactly. Yes. You, you sort of just, I'm going for a walk with my dog yep. in mother nature. Yep. And if I shoot a pheasant on a beautiful day, like phew, cherry on the top of that yep. Sunday, but I still like the Sunday, you know, it's just, yep.
1: it's a <laughs> glorious time to be outdoors. Agreed. And that's a good time to hunt pheasants.
2: I'm a, i am I like early season as well. Um, it's a little bit harder for me with my wife's schedule and the the way it is right now. So but, uh, you know, early season, I like to drive around and just give things the eye test. Um, you're driving past a piece of cover that's next to, next to some standing crops and just like to put a mark on onyx maps. Cause you know, you know, damn well that that afternoon, that golden hour, mm-hmm. you know, those birds are going to be walking back into that cover mm-hmm. that's standing right next to, you know, that corn or beans, whatever it is. And uh, that they're going to be there, but I think you know hunting late season is one of my favorite times to go out. Um, you know, I think some of the competition from other hunters has fallen off, um, and that that you can do the eye test that time of year extremely well too. If you yeah. find a good piece of stubble or you've got standing crops, um, I love going to South Dakota late season, especially a lot of those a lot of those crep areas that usually have standing water throughout the year and then freeze over with cattails mm-hmm. um you can just go and just pinpoint on onyx maps when you're scouting in the afternoon or the morning before you're going out to hunt you know exactly where those birds are going to be if somebody hasn't hit it i mean you can drive past some of those hell holes <laughs> and uh show people or just tell yourself listen there's going to be a group of birds in there and i'm going to go get them Yep. um i love i love hunting late season just for that factor and that at that time of year, the birds are probably a little bit more pent up together, mm-hmm. um, and you know that if you're gonna if you're gonna get into a bunch, it it has the tendency to be pretty pretty good. If yeah. you're gonna see an
1: epic flush, yep.
2: it's late season. That's the time of year. Yeah.
1: Yep, I I and I, and I I love late season too, and as opposed to early season, there the there's more birds than there's ever gonna be for the rest of the season in late season they're still out there mm-hmm. you might have to work in you might have to work through hands you might have to work through wild birds but if you keep going, you keep working, you get into the right f- kind of cover and you find birds, you are going to find a rooster that will hold well enough for you and your dog to get it whether you're working a good flusher like like Jared with his his new lab Luna who is doing a great job this this fall already or you have a big ranging pointing dog or bigger ranging like one of, one of your dogs Bob or a or a little a little biddy Shit like mine (laughs) Can I say that word It might get edited out Yeah well we're not regulated
0: by the FCC So
1: a, a little A little tyke like mm-hmm. mine who who i let range out a little more in a flusher but not yep. very much mm-hmm. they're going to find a bird there's that you've got good chances if you get in that right cover and late in that that right kinds of cover in late season to get a bird that's going to sit that you're going to get a shot at and as as i think any three of us at this table would say wow what a trophy mm. a late season rooster
0: i also you know i love it's it's going to be sound weird but like going out on a pheasant hunt when the snow is falling it makes me feel it puts me in the holiday spirit you know when yeah. a, when, when it's just Christmassy yep. to yep. be out in the winter fields Chasing down a rooster that I'm gonna make into appetizers for Christmas Eve for my
2: family. Yep. Dogs back covered in snow, yeah. frost. It's
0: like Merry Christmas.
2: And I, so, I
0: just I you know put on a little buffalo plaid. And, you know <laughs> I just you come back and you're, you get back home and you're tired and you're sitting on the recliner in front of the Christmas tree. Dogs are at your feet. It's like you know it's a
1: Terry Redland painting. You know, I, <laughs> and I
0: love that.
1: Pluck a pluck a tail feather and put it on the tree as a decoration. Yeah, to me that's Christmas.
0: Yeah, I, I mean it really feels um, festive. It's celebratory. Like I appreciate um, you know everything that uh, you know, just life in general and family and the outdoors and getting to spend a day. You know, maybe it's that day between yep. one of those days between Christmas and New Year's where you're out just. Uh, Celebrating and being alive
1: well to get back to one of your points earlier talk to your boss and and get a day i i do the same in late season hold keep yourself a day and we all know what happens with weather in the late season in pheasant country i don't care where you are in pheasant country and sooner or later there's going to be a day that you're going to see coming on the on the weather report and say i want to hunt pheasants do it all right, folks, those were the top 11
0: public secrets, strategies for outsmarting public land roosters and outworking other hunters, as written by Tom Carpenter in the <laughs> fall issue, the Pheasants Forever Journal. And if you're listening and you're not currently a member, we get a deal for them, right, Carp?
1: Here's our deal. Get a hold of us on Facebook. You can find us on the Pheasants Forever page at Facebook. Yep. And... Write us a message, a Facebook message, and say, I want to I want to become a member. And what we will do is what, there there you can um, there there's membership offers there, so join up and then tell us you joined on Facebook or send me an email at tcarpenter at pheasantsforever.org. But And send us an email that you've joined, and Jared will get the Facebook message, or I'll get the email, and then we will send you the fall issue. So Because you'll be too late to get the fall issue, it's already out in mailboxes, but we'll send you the fall issue. It's a great issue. There's a lot more in here. And here's another reason to get that fall issue, and we, we don't have time on this podcast to do it, but in it... Is an article called a related article called No Excuses? This article, Public Secrets, talks about how to do it. No Excuses gives you a complete rundown of all your public land options in the top eight pheasant states, mm-hmm. and it's exhaustive. It there's was, a lot of them, <laughs> and there's a lot. You, you're going to look at it, and I guarantee you, you will discover a public land resource that you did not know about. For a maybe not your number one state, but some state that you 've been thinking about or have hunted hunted in a cursory fashion in the past you 're going to find new resources for how to get at that, how to get at new public land spots the and the point of that article being there 's no excuses not to go pheasant hunting because there's plenty out there, and you pair that up with a, a resource like onax where where all those public lands are marked and delineated, and you've got hundreds of thousands of acres at your disposal.
0: Well, and it's also important to note that uh, the issue we're talking about, the fall issue that's in our members' hands right now, and
1: could be yours if
0: you sign up, um, is the public lands issue. Yes. The, the entire theme of that issue is public lands. Yep. So not only does it have the the tips and the two articles that you're talking about, it does have... Um, the Dave Simonette uh, first pheasant hunt story yeah. is in there. Uh, Public from, land from birds trampled by turtles. Yep, yeah. um, it is one of you know one of the best issues we've ever released and it all is all focused on public land so if you do sign up and join t carpenter at pheasantsforever.org we've got a few hundred extra yep. journals in or the office. get
1: on facebook like follow and like us on facebook yep. and send, send a message send a facebook message we did it with our great upland super issue and and got a lot of people to join up to get that issue this one's this one's equally as exciting if you're not yet a member to 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 sign up and we will send you it'll be a it'll be a brown envelope handwritten by me or jared with your name and address on it because we'll look you up on the on the membership roster after you've signed up and you'll get this issue too and there's as bob said it it celebrates pheasants forever's public land legacy and future yeah
0: all right as we wrap up fellas um hunting seasons, upland hunting seasons have been open now for a little while. We had, uh, you know, prairie grouse opening through September, rough grouse mid-September. We've got a couple pheasant hunting um, seasons open in certain states at at the um, time that this was recorded. And all of us have been out. So in addition to these 11 public land tips that you wrote about carp, let's throw out one more thing that's a tip based on what you've seen this hunting season that you want, you know, give, give listeners, uh, maybe an observation or a tip that you've noticed, um, over the course of this hunting season. And I, and I can start since I'm s- surprising you on this, uh, you know, I, I opened up the Minnesota pheasant season, as, as I mentioned, um, through circumstances, I was, uh, able to go all by myself with my dog and sometimes you know, it's, it's, it's awesome to go in a group, right? And there's a lot of strategies to go in a group. And one of the things that we're doing as an organization is Hunter Mentor Challenge, right? Take, you know, we need to introduce more folks to the outdoors and to bird hunting. So um, I would, you know, absolutely suggest folks to take another person out to enjoy pheasant hunting. But once in a while, awfully darn nice to go solo and you know particularly if you're hunting in an area on on an opener or a saturday when there's a lot of people around to just go kind of ninja style you and a dog um, just find that slot where nobody's at and, and you've, just, you've just, got
1: that perfect flexibility. Do what you want. Weave, find, find, well, it, find it, the, find the hole, find yeah, the place. Find
0: the. And, and you, you mentioned the right word, weave. Yep. And we always talk about follow the dog. I think most bird hunters have have heard that advice. Follow the dog because the dog knows that dog's nose <laughs> knows more than your eyes. Follow the dog, but when you are in a group that's, that's kind of hard to do safely, right? You're, yep. you're kind of following the edge, then everybody banks and turns around, pivots on this person, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and it's fun, and it's part of the magic of pheasant hunting, and you probably see more birds in that regard. But if you can just release that dog and just follow wherever that dog takes you, you yep that that experience was just magical this weekend i just had an absolute blast just one guy one hunter and one dog
1: and it's very effective too
0: it, it can be very effective it can, it, and, it, and it, it, you yep. know at, at times i let two dogs run but just one hunter yep. and two dogs but uh boy that's that's just a a fun way to go about it
1: what about
2: you jared I don't know if this is so much, I, I had this written down to mention earlier. I don't know if it's so much for the opener, probably more for later in the season. But last last year I had an experience uh, with my former colleague, Anthony Houck. We went out and we were bringing media out to South Dakota to show them some of these community-based habitat access uh, program areas where uh, chapters are putting in money and combining it with local business money. To basically provide incentives for landowners to sign up new CRP acres and open those up to walk-in access, mm-hmm. um, we went out by Aberdeen, which has had a few few years of a lot of acres. I think almost four to five thousand acres enrolled in that program, and they had been out there for Rooster Road trip a couple weeks previous. And there was a there was a waterfall production area. Uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. Just northeast of Aberdeen, it was one of the first snows of the year that we had just got. This was early December. And at that time, uh, across from that WPA um, was 2,000 acres of corn that mm-hmm. was standing. They still got birds when they were there, um, but we specifically specifically marked that spot and put it as standing crops on, like, Onyx maps. Mm-hmm. We went we went back to that spot and happened to pull in there on the day that they were literally finishing up the corn harvest on 2,000 acres of of property. Mm. And right, right across the road was, uh, not only a a cat, a cattail slough that went on for miles, but there was a, it was a down downhill slope to the cattail slough that was native grass made up of big blue stem and switch. Mm. It was unbelievable. And I knew just knew pulling in there, keeping, keeping tabs on what the crops are doing can really put you in advantage as we start to go through the season into those later times because you know if it's standing crops a lot of times the birds will just sit in there all day because they don't have to move anywhere and they'll come back to roost in the evening in thermal cover but once those crops are off if it's just stubble those birds are going out quick in the morning and they're coming right back and that's exactly what happened at this spot I had one probably one of the most memorable hunts I've ever had uh, in my 33 years of uh, being alive on this planet. <laughs> it, I'm not, I'm not joking you. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, and so I've put a lot more, a ma- lot more time, uh, into keeping tabs on some of the areas mm-hmm. and public land spots that I have B- basically keeping tabs on and writing on an onyx map saying, listen, this, this crop field was half harvested the week of yeah. yada, yada, yada. So you're coming back sub- subsequently in subsequent weeks To check on those fields Um, following the crop harvest those birds don't have anywhere to go except to the cover Uh, and if it's not standing if it's just a stubble field and it start the temperature starts to drop you're setting yourself up for just a phenomenal upland hunt yeah that would be one of my tips it's a great tip
1: well mine is i'm going to i i spent a lot of time you know during this podcast talking about these specific strategies on the ground, things you can do. But my, my last tip I'm going to leave with you sort of asked about what, 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 what is this, what's come together in the season so far. And as listening to you guys talk, the thing that's standing out in me, and there's a lot of, I mean, to me, I've scratched a small bit of maybe the surface of the pheasant hunting I'll do this year. So I'm going to harken back to a, a trip I took in late September I went to Kansas for prairie chickens, and we had a great hunt with Quail Forever editor Chad Love and uh, had a great time, dealt with some heat. But I I, I can I find it hard to... I, I know I'll always get my fill of pheasants, but I hadn't had my, my fill of prairie grouse. And I planned a trip, and this is hearkening back to what Bob talked about. Me and my dog and nobody else 500 miles, 518 miles from home in northwestern South Dakota hunting tails. I didn't know anything about anything about going out there. I made a few calls. I rented a hotel room, made sure dogs could stay in there. I drove. I slept halfway there. I drove the rest of the way. And by golly, I, I took some advice that I had been given by kind biologists, make phone calls. And I started out at three, two two thirty in the afternoon, and I was three miles in, to endless prairie, an ocean of prairie as far as I could see every direction, and we shot two sharp tails. My dog pointed them, and I thought, as I was getting ready, I thought, oh, I, mean, I got so much to pack and so much to do, and I, there's so much work to do, and I well, maybe I should cancel this. There's nobody else going, and I just did it. And all and I, that
2: stress drifted away, didn't it? And, and
1: I'll never, you know, nobody can ever take it away. We spent three days on the prairie. My dog and I, I sort of on I walked 21.3 miles. Hmm. Who knows what she ran? We shot sharptails every day. We saw antelope. We saw mule deer. And why did I do it? Because I got a wild hare, and, <laughs> and I wanted to do it. How many people did you see? Uh, I saw one other bird hunter. In four days, I did see at 21 it, miles. I, I saw Walking. I saw antelope hunters, uh, and they were they were they were good to be around. You know, they uh, I, I, I saw them at the hotel and in town and stuff. But I saw one other upland bird hunter in four days, and um, so that that's my that's what I'll leave you with. We we can talk a lot about all these hands-on tips to get but to get birds, but just go do it. And if you want. If you, you get an idea, go do it. It's, it's, you're not going to last forever, and neither is your bird dog. And you can get these experiences. And maybe there's a place you haven't hunted pheasants before. Um, you want to go to a new state. You want to try a new type of public land. We've talked about some of the tools today. We've given, given you some of the how-to. Get this, get this fall issue of the magazine and find out where to go and go do it. Yeah. That's a
0: great piece of advice, and it, I think about our coworker John Edstrom, who's dealing with some yes. health issues right now. Um, so prayers to uh, Director of Merchandising John Edstrom, who's been working for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever for better part of two decades, um, and, and a lot and of folks in the the community know John. Um, hope, hope he's he continues to do well, and you know it, it is a good send off to to remind folks that life is short and get out there and spend some time with your dogs enjoying the uplands because it's some of the best moments you'll you'll uh, ever experience in your lifetime. Amen. Amen. So get out there, have fun with friends, with dogs, with family or just by yourself. Get out there and enjoy. And uh, it's the season. It's open in, well, in most places, and more places coming. So hope everybody has a safe and fun upland hunting season. Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Wing Podcast with Pheasants Forever Journal editor Tom Carp Carpenter and public relations manager Jared Buntcake Wickland. <laughs> thanks, thanks for throwing <laughs> that in there. I was hoping I was going to say it if you didn't. Uh, and I am Bob St. Pierre, and we, uh, we love our jobs, we love what we do, and we love talking with our members. Uh, hope that uh, you check us out at PheasantsForever.org, QuailForever.org, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. And uh, get out there and enjoy bird hunting season. Thanks, folks.